Texas, Michigan, Washington, and Alabama. Which playoff team has the best defense moving forward, vying for a national championship? You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on to get started. And on today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, we are comparing the four playoff teams defensively. Yesterday on part one, we compared the four playoff teams offensively. Today, we're comparing the defensive units on that side of the ball, which team can rely on their defense the most in route to a national championship. And then we are talking the new Big 12. Now that Texas and Oklahoma have played their last games for the conference, I know we still technically represent the conference into the summer, but we all know Texas and Oklahoma have their sights on the SEC. What does the Big 12 look like without the two powerhouses in the Longhorns and the Sooners? All of that and more on today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So as I said in the open, this is part two. Yesterday, uh, we took the four playoff teams and compared them offensively, right? Passing offenses, rushing offenses, just offensively overall, right? And the theme was that all four of those teams were legitimate national championship contenders because they could all beat you on the offensive side of the ball, right? Whether it be with their running game or their quarterback's arms, right? They're all very talented on that unit and very efficient and productive on that side of the ball. And I had Washington, excuse me, I had Texas being the number one offense moving forward just because I thought that they have the best ability to be balanced and beat you with that balance with either their run game or their passing game. I got uh, Washington number two, mainly because of Michael Penix Jr. Their running game is underrated, but they're going to win games because of Michael Penix Jr. I think I had Michigan number three and then Alabama number four. But like I said, all four teams can beat you offensively. And when I was crunching the numbers and doing my research for the defensive side of the ball, it's the same thing, right? And you can't get to, you know, 12 and one, be a conference champion or um, get to, you know, 13 and 0 and be a conference champion without, you know, making crucial stops without making crucial plays or winning games on the defensive side of the ball. Right. So regardless of where a team is ranked or regardless of what the narrative of that team is, regardless of how many explosive plays they've given up, you don't get to this point without having a defense that's battle tested and got stops and made plays when it mattered the most. So my rankings, right. For the four teams in the playoffs, the defensive side of the ball, I have Alabama number one, Michigan number two, Texas number three, and Washington number four. That's how I'm judging these four playoff teams on the defensive side of the ball, and I'll spend the rest of the current segment, you know, validating those rankings, right? Alabama is 17th in the country in scoring defense. Michigan, who I have number two moving forward, is the number one scoring defense in the country, only allowing 9.5 points per game. I think there's some context to that, and I will provide it. Texas is the number 13 scoring defense in the country. Texas fans, we've certainly been scarred, right, <laughs> defensively in the past. It feels weird to say we are the number 13 scoring defense in all of college football. And then Washington is number 50 in the country in scoring defense, right? Definitely um, a step down from the other three. Now, that's not bad. That's still top half of the country. But they're allowing 23 six points per game, which once again is not horrible. Obviously, they went 13 and 0, but Alabama, Michigan, and Texas are allowing 18 points per game or less. So with Washington 
allowing 23.6. That's almost a full touchdown more than the other three teams in the playoffs. So, you know, that could be something that holds Washington back. <laughs> you know, if it comes down to them having to get a stop, obviously they've done it all year, but you're facing a different caliber of teams in Alabama, Michigan, and Texas. So let's start with the Crimson Tide. And this is a vintage uh, Nick Saban defense, right? They can rush the passer with four. They have superstar talent on all levels of the defense. Um, they tackle really well and they can cover on the back end like anybody, right? Especially playing that man coverage. Um, and with a month to prepare against these offenses, right? These are some very talented offenses. But uh, with the month to prepare, I think Nick Saban can lead a unit out there that can dominate and win games on the defensive side of the ball. So when you look at what they were able to do over the totality of the season, they allowed 24 points or less to 11 of 13 opponents. Right. So they were really dominant. They did allow 34 points to Texas and 28 points to LSU. Now, Texas scored 34 and was able to, you know, for the most part, throw the ball all over the field on that defense. But Texas also had two drives that started on the Alabama 30 yard line and the Alabama five yard line. That led to 10 points for Texas, right? So Texas scored 10 points off of their defense being at a disadvantage because of two Jalen Milrow interceptions where Texas started two drives already in scoring position on the Bama side of the field. LSU scored 28 points. They scored their 28th point about three minutes into the third quarter, right? They got the ball after halftime, went down, scored a touchdown, and took the lead. And then they did not score a point for the remaining 26 minutes of the game. Right. So when this Alabama defense needed to lock in and, and clamp, they certainly did that. And this was one of the best defenses in college football all year. Like I said, a vintage Nick Saban defense and they're top 20 in yards allowed as well. Right. So you're not racking up yardage on them and you're not scoring points on them either. Right. And they have star level players all over the defense. Dallas Turner, uh, Caleb Downs had an excellent true freshman season. I know, you know, Quinn Ewers and Steve Sarkeesian kind of had their way with them. It'd be interesting to see how Caleb Downs performs in a, a rematch if there is one terry and arnold have five interceptions this year one of the best dbs in college football chris braswell kool-aid mckinstry jaheem otis and deontay lawson like i said they have superstars all over that defense they can stop the run they can rush the passer with four and they can play man covers on the back end and i think they can give any offense remaining in the playoff trouble for sure now we're talking about michigan and they are the number one scoring defense in the country but i have them number two in my rankings. The reason I have them number two in my rankings is because I think there's some needed context to provide as to why Michigan is the number one scoring defense in the country. So I went to look because I'm, you know, doing my notes and my rankings and I was like, oh, okay, Michigan's number one in the country. And I'm like, damn, they only allow 9.5 points per game. Like, dang, the Michigan defense was really good this year. And I knew they were good. I just didn't know they were that good statistically. Right. But then I looked at the top four scoring defenses in the country. And they just so happen to all be from the Big Ten. The top four scoring defense in the defenses in the country are Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, and Iowa. And I was like, okay, so this smells kind of fishy, right? Because I was like, I just didn't think that the Big Ten had four dominant defenses like that in college football. I knew they were good, but not the best in college football, right? So then I look at the worst scoring offenses in the country. And there's seven offenses in the Big Ten that rank 100th or worse. That's half the conference. Seven teams in the Big Ten ranked 100 or worse in scoring. Not to mention, Michigan also played three god-awful non-conference opponents, right? So essentially, Michigan's entire schedule is being played against some of the worst offenses in the country. Now, this Michigan defense is amazing, right? They are a very good defense. But there's context to why they're the number one scoring defense in the country, because their entire schedule is against teams that can't score. <laughs> they literally played 
Iowa in the Big Ten championship game who I don't think scored a point against a ranked opponent this year, right? So, you know, Michigan is the number one scoring defense in the country. You know, they obviously went out there and allowed those nine and a half points per game. But the obvious context is they spent all year playing some of the worst offenses in college football. Now, maybe Kieran has said this before, that we praise these Big Ten defenses and we say they're so good, when in reality they're just consistently facing the worst offenses in the country. The best offense Michigan faced all year was Ohio State, and their quarterback entered the transfer portal immediately after the season. But I'm done ragging on Michigan. I just had to provide that context for the number one scoring defense in the country. They still are really good. They had two shutouts this year, right? Held two opponents scoreless and held four opponents without a touchdown in 13 games. That's really special. They held opponents to 10 points or less in nine of their 13 games, right? I'm not going to repeat the context, but, you know, still impressive nonetheless. The season high total they gave up was 24 points. They gave that up to Maryland and Ohio State. So nobody was able to score more than 24 points on this Michigan defense. And they were second in total yardage, period, allowing only 239 yards per game. So this is not like a bend but don't break defense where they allow a bunch of yards but don't allow points. You can't move the ball on this Michigan defense at all, and you damn sure aren't going to score on them. And when you look at them personnel-wise, they have four really good defensive tackles who have combined for nine sacks and 58 pressures this year. That's a ton of tackle in terms – I mean, that's a ton of production in terms of a pass rush from four defensive tackles. Mason Graham had a 17% pass rush win rate from the defensive tackle position. That's really good, right? And Chris Jenkins headlined that group. Um, they rotate multiple edge rushers, so they don't have like a star edge rusher like Alabama has in Dallas Turner, but all of their edge rushers are pretty productive. Josiah Stewart might be the most effective, a 20% pass rush win rate, which is crazy. That means if you throw the ball 40 times, he's going to beat his man eight times, right? That's crazy. And then 23 pressures just in a situational role coming off the bench, mostly playing on third downs and obvious passing downs. And then they have elite corners on the back end will johnson um who shadowed uh michael harrison excuse me marvin harrison jr for the most of the ohio state michigan game josh wallace who's not allowed a touchdown and has a 44 percent completion rate against him and then their nickel mike sane still has played slot perimeter corner in the box high safety and edge rusher at various points this year so he can do a little bit of everything on that defense as a defense with a ton of depth they're going to mix up their coverages a little bit more than alabama will um, a great press pass rush from the defensive line and the edge and then dominant and physical coverage on the back end whether that be in man or zone so this michigan defense although they weren't tested as much as you would like this year, I still think they're a very good unit, but it'll be interesting to see how they fare against some of the best offenses in the country in Texas and Washington and one of the most balanced, efficient offenses in the country in Alabama. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we're talking about the Texas and Washington defenses that came in at number three and number four on my rankings. This episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, the official partner of the National Football League. All right, so we are talking about the Texas defense, number 13 scoring defense in the country, um, third on my rankings moving forward in the playoffs. And, you know, we started to see Texas fans, right? Now I can talk to you. I'm not talking about Michigan or uh, Alabama anymore, right? 
we started to see the transformation last year, right? We started to see not only um, a defense that could be stout up front, right? Not only a defense that could match the level of the offense in some of the biggest games, but I think there were times last year where we not only won games because of our defense, but in the biggest games, our defense gave us a chance to win and we weren't able to match their effort offensively. Right. And then this year we just came out guns a blazing and had one of the best defenses um, in the country. Right. And that's evidenced by that number 14, uh, number 13 ranking in terms of points given up. Right. Texas held two conference opponents in BYU and Baylor without touchdowns that season, this season. That's really oppressive. And two areas of this Texas defense are elite and might be the best in the country. Right. When you talk about their rushing defense, right. Headlined by Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy up front. They're fourth in yards per game allowed, right? In terms of the running game, only allowing 80.8 yards per game. I guess you should say 81 rushing yards per game. Last year, we gave up an 82-yard run to Jace McClellan in the Alabama game. This year, we came back and allowed less than that per game, right? Which is crazy. And then they're fifth in yards per carry, right? So it's not just teams aren't running the ball against Texas. They can't run the ball against Texas because when you do, you're only averaging 2.87 yards per carry against this Texas defense. And on third down, right? When the money is pushed to the middle of the table, teams win games on third down, teams lose games on third down. But this Texas football team has won games on third down mostly because of this defense right texas is second in the country only behind georgia in third down defense allowing a 27 percent conversion rate as good as this defense was last year i believe we're above 40 percent in terms of allowing third downs right when we got to that money down we couldn't get off the field this year we're getting off the field only allowing 27 percent conversion rate giving a lot more opportunities to our offense that's why this texas football team went 12 and one this year now i do have texas at number three right even though this defense has been amazing this year and they've been dominant throughout the uh, majority of the season and at certain points they've been elite and looked like one of the best units in the country the achilles heel of this texas defense is their pass defense right texas is 96th in the country in passing yardage allowed per game they allowed five quarterbacks this year to throw for over 300 yards and seven quarterbacks to account for 300 scrimmage yards, right? Dylan Gabriel didn't throw for 300 yards, but he accounted for over 400 scrimmage yards because he ran for 100 yards, right? But he still almost threw for 300. And then Jalen Milrow threw for 255, and then he had 44 rushing yards. But the dumbest rule in college football, they take your sack yardage out of your rushing yardage. So he ended up with 299 scrimmage yards because he got sacked like three or four times. But he amassed over 300 total scrimmage yards. So they played 13 games. And in seven of those games, the quarterback, at least productivity wise, (laughs) right, uh, racked up a lot of yardage on this Texas defense. Now, there's some context to the Texas defense being ranked 96th in the country because the Texas defense is not bad as that is not, excuse me, the Texas passing defense is not as bad as that metric would lead you to believe, right? There's some context there. Texas was 29th in the country in yards per attempt, right? They only allowed 6.7 yards per attempt. So what that's telling me is teams are throwing the ball a lot on Texas because they're throwing the ball a lot on Texas. They are racking up yardage, but they're not racking it up efficiently. They're just throwing the ball so many times that eventually you're going to get to 250, 300 yards. And that's why Texas is ranked 96th in the country in passing defense, because Texas has a lead on teams and you absolutely cannot run the ball 
on the Texas Longhorns. So you're coming into a game at a disadvantage, playing with one arm behind your back, and you have to throw the ball 40 times, right? So eventually, if you throw the ball 40 times, you're going to rack up some yardage. But being 29th in the country in yards per attempt tells me that, you know, these teams aren't necessarily efficient when they're throwing the ball 40 times, and that's why they're losing these games. They're just racking up yardage, which is inflating Texas's past defense ranking. Now, I will say that there is some context to it and the defense is not as bad as that metric would lead you to believe, but this passing defense still can be had. And that's why I ranked them at number three, because at the end of the day, you can pass the ball 40 times and not complete any of those 40 passes. Right. So there's context to why they've given up so many yards, but they're still out there. The one being, you know, giving up the yards, right. Texas allowed 40 passes of 20 plus yards this year in 10 passes of 40 plus yards this year which both rank in the bottom half of the country. So if you're talking about a playoff team and not being able to lock up on the back end, right, that's something that Michigan, Washington, and Alabama all can take advantage of. And that's something within the last calendar year we have seen Washington and Alabama take advantage of at various points. So um, like I said, the, the pass defense for Texas is not as bad as the numbers would tell you, but they do have to shore up allowing all of those big plays because that could be the reason that they get sent home in the college football playoff. And of course they have superstar level players at every level of the defense as well. Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy were absolutely two of the best defensive tackles in the country. Jalen Ford uh, was almost the defensive player of the year in the conference last year was still really good this year, even though Tavondre Sweat won the award and Anthony Hill proved himself to be a young superstar in college football. And John A. Barron may be coming off the worst game he's ever played at the university of Texas because they were throwing all over him uh, in the slot in Oklahoma state with Brennan Presley. But Outside of that, he's one of the best DBs, one of the most versatile DBs in the country. So this Texas defense won a lot of games this year on that side of the ball. They were really good on that side of the ball this year, borderline elite. But they do give up a lot of big plays in the passing game, and that's something they have to shore up if they want to win a national championship. And then I have Washington, 50th in scoring defense. Like I said, they're a step down from the previous three defense that defenses that we discussed, almost giving up a touchdown more than those other three teams. But they're 13 and 0 this year, right? So that means that when you know they needed to lock up, they locked up, right? And they gave their offense a chance to win every single game this season, right? They've given up 28 plus points in six of their last 10 games, right? So if you would expect Washington to win games in the playoffs is probably going to be because Washington outscored their opponent, not because the Washington defense went out and locked up Texas, Michigan or Alabama. Right. But they're a timely defense who has allowed them to be seven and zero in one possession games. Like I said, they went out there and won every game that they had this year. So the defense had to make plays at some point, regardless of where they're ranked. Right. And for you to be seven and zero in one possession games, right. For context, I think Texas only played in three, one possession games this year. Washington played in seven. Right? So that's a hell of a lot. And they certainly deserve to be in the college football playoffs for winning all seven of them. But because they've won all seven of their one possession games, that tells you that, that when the game is in the margins, right, when it comes down to needing a clutch stop or um, a clutch turnover to get the ball back to Michael Penix Jr. to win the game or seal the game, the defense did that right at various points throughout the year. Now, they're middle of the pack in yards allowed. They're bottom of the country in rushing defense, so you can run on this defense, and yards per carry. So they do allow a lot of yards per carry, too, as well, over four yards per carry. But they're top half of the country in passing efficiency allowed, right? So you can throw the ball on this defense, but you're going to have to do it volume-wise, right? Because in terms of yards per attempt, they can lock up in the passing game. And they've allowed 16 scrimmage plays of 40-plus yards this year, rushing and passing. 
That's a lot. <laughs> so, like I said, if Washington is going to win games in the playoffs based on what we've seen all year, it's going to be because they outscored teams, not because their defense was the best unit on the field. Now, they do have some really good players on that defense. Braylon Trice is their best defensive player, potential first round edge rusher. I've seen him in a few mocks uh, for the first round. He has 49 pressures in his last six games. So, not sure exactly where he lines up, but Kelvin Banks or Kristen Jones will certainly be on notice in the Sugar Bowl because he's one of the best edge rushers, one of the most productive edge rushers in the country. They have playmakers at corner and Dominique Campton and Jabbar Muhammad, and then a first team all Pac-12 linebacker and Edifon Yulo Foscio. So um, it's all four of these teams, uh, regardless of their rank, like I say, regardless of how many yards they give up or how many points they give up or where their rushing or passing defense is ranked, all four of these teams at various points in the year have won games or sealed games because of their defensive units. And I think all four of these teams have the ability to do that moving forward in the college football playoffs. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we end the show talking about the new Big 12, the status of every team in the conference without Texas or Oklahoma going into 2024. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by Jace Medical. I know we come to sports to escape from some of the crazy realities of real life, but can we just talk for a minute about preparing for real life? According to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade. This is scary. I can't imagine a more helpless feeling than if one of your significant others or one of your kids got sick while a supply chain issue kept them from the life-saving medication they needed. Thankfully, we'll be okay because of Jace Medical. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinuses, skin infections, among others. This stuff could happen to any of us. So visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It will be reviewed by a board certified physician and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. So go to jacemedical.com and use offer code locked on to get $20 off your order. So I have to say it wasn't necessarily a banner year for the Big 12, right? I'm not sure if they went in with the mindset that they didn't want Texas or Oklahoma to win the conference, but Texas and Oklahoma, for the most part, looked like the two best teams in the conference, right? I know Oklahoma State got the rivalry win over Oklahoma in Bedlam, but Oklahoma was a better team than Oklahoma State, right? We wouldn't have beat Oklahoma by 28 points. Maybe I shouldn't say that, right? But I don't envision us beating Oklahoma by 28 points. Um, in the Big 12 championship game, right? And now when you look at the Big 12 moving forward, um, who fills that void, right? Obviously, you can't replace Texas and Oklahoma status-wise or ratings-wise or financially, but that didn't mean that you couldn't have a new team that could step up and dominate the conference moving forward, right? Who could be the banner team in the Big 12? Who could put the Big 12 on their back moving forward? Because we already saw you know, a legendary program like Florida State gets snubbed because people basically said, you know, I had obviously most of it had to do with Jordan Travis getting hurt. But a lot of the argument was you played a trash schedule in the ACC, right? Now, moving forward, the Big 12 will have a automatic bid in the playoffs based on who wins the conference. But who's going to stop <laughs> people from looking at the Big 12 and saying that might be the worst conference in football? Right. Because based on what those teams did this year outside of Texas and Oklahoma, the future does not look too bright moving forward for Brett Yormark in his conference. So we're going to start with Colorado, not just because they got Dion, but I mean, maybe it is right, because that's the first team I thought of when I was writing them down. Um, 
I think they had a disappointing season this year, right? I know he took them from one win to four wins, but four and eight in any level of college football is disappointing, right? Especially when you have Deion Sanders, right? Especially when you brought in Shadur Sanders, one of the best quarterbacks in college football. You brought in Travis Hunter, one of the best players in college football, number one ranked uh, a few years ago. You brought in the number two overall player in this past recruiting class in Carmani McClain, right? So the pieces were there. You blew a 29-point lead to Stanford. You lost some other games that you should have won. So, yeah, four and eight is an improvement from one and 11, of course, but that team shouldn't have been four and eight. And now they're losing commits, they're losing momentum, and they're not winning games. And even Dion isn't big enough to get people to come to Colorado if they're not winning games, right? That's not a program that sells itself. So at the beginning of the season, when they were three and oh, they looked like they could run the Big 12 for years and be the new dominant program at four and eight. They're reeling right now. They're losing commitments. They're losing steam. They're losing hype. And I'm not sure what the future of Colorado and Deion Sanders looks like in the Big 12. Hell, I'm not even sure how long Deion Sanders will be at Colorado or in the Big 12. Arizona uh, was a really good program and um, a really tough Pac-12 this year. I can't remember if they went eight and four or nine and three, but they were really competitive. I think they beat USC um, and a couple of other really good teams in the Pac-12. And hopefully they can continue that momentum. I do see Arizona uh, being one of the best programs in the Big 12 moving forward, the new Big 12. I'm not sure if that's enough to move the needle, right? Arizona is a basketball school at the end of the day. But that is a team that should be able to compete at a high level and win conference championships or compete for conference championships in the new Big 12. Same thing with Utah. They're getting Cameron Rising back, who was 30 years old. So he should be able to compete at a high level in the Big 12 next year. I think Utah is probably the biggest favorite to be the best team or represent that conference for the most part. They're coming off back-to-back Pac-12 championships before Washington just won it in the Pac-12. And so I think they have less competition in the Big 12 the way it looks right now. So Utah with Cam Rising and just moving forward should be one of the premier programs in that conference. Arizona State was bad at football in the Pac-12. They're going to be bad at football in the Big 12. Right? Looking at TCU, TCU had a very disappointing season going from the national championship game to not winning. I mean, not making a bowl game at all um, is pitiful. <laughs> That's very bad. And Sonny Dykes and that staff and that team are reeling and they need to figure out uh, what's going on. You know, people that made the argument that it was just Gary Patterson and their players, they're looking very correct right now. And I think TCU has had a ton of talent. I think TCU will still be able to bring in talent, but you got to win games, right? They should be one of the banner teams in the Big 12 moving forward. But this year doesn't give me a ton of hope that they can reach that status once Texas and Oklahoma leave. Baylor is a mess right now, and they're bringing Dave Aranda back after the mess that they had this year. That program is in peril. I don't see anything getting better as long as Dave Aranda is the head coach. Texas Tech, right? Joey McGuire, I think he's a good football coach, but that roster with them being in the state of Texas, they don't bring in a ton of talent. I know they're bringing in Micah Hudson, um, the five-star receiver. Maybe, you know, things can progress moving forward, but they just haven't had a ton of talent on those rosters. And when they have had talent, they've underachieved with it. And, you know, Joy McGuire kind of built his reputation and built the culture at Texas Tech on being the tough, gritty underdog team that was going to shock the world, right? But then you went out and took a step back this year. So you're going to have to build a new narrative around your team, right? Because you did shock the world just in a bad way. Texas Tech should be a team that competes in the new Big 12, but it's Texas Tech. Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy has proven to be one of the best coaches in college football for the last two years. Did a hell of a coaching job getting a team that had a floor as low as this Oklahoma State's team, getting blown out by 28 points in the championship game, losing by 40 plus points to UCF, losing by 26 points to South Alabama. He still had that team 60 minutes away from a conference championship. Oklahoma State should be 
one of the premier teams in college football, excuse me, in the Big 12 moving forward as long as they got Mike Gundy. West Virginia re uh, retained Neil Brown. He deserved it. He had a really good season this year. Most people thought that he would be fired midseason. They ended up going eight and four. Um, it could have been nine and three playing in the Big 12 championship if it wasn't for a Hail Mary that they gave up to U of H on the road. So West Virginia has always been able to recruit really talented players. They've always been able to be, for the most part, competitive in the Big 12. And I think now without the two big dogs in Texas and Oklahoma, that certainly will continue. Kansas is an interesting team. You know, they've been able to bring in some talented players and develop, you know, some players that probably wouldn't have gotten shine or um, reached their full potential at other bigger schools. Right. And with Jalen Daniels potentially coming back, the back is always tricky. But if he can come back and play at a high level, then Kansas is a team that certainly could compete and win the Big 12 championship next year. Kansas State, same thing. They should be one of the premier teams in the conference moving forward. I know Texas fans, we didn't get to see a ton of Avery Johnson in that game. He only had one passing attempt and one rushing attempt. But he is dynamic, right? And I think they could be one of the best programs and one of the best teams in the Big 12 next year. Iowa State, their young quarterback is really good. He threw for 300 yards against Texas. He won freshman of the year in the conference. I'm excited to see what they can do over the next three years with them, right? I know that they probably won't be able to recruit at the highest level, but Matt Campbell and the coaches on that staff are really good, and they've shown an ability to do more with less, even though the players that they had are kind of balling in the NFL right now, Brees Hall and Brock Purdy. But nonetheless, I think Iowa State can continue to make some noise in the Big 12. UCF, the only uh, one of the new four teams to make the uh, make a bowl game, I should say, be bowl eligible. They had six wins. Um, they had a really good season, right? They won six games and they had three Big 12 losses by four points or less, right? Like combined, right? Not each game four points or less total, right? So they easily could have been a nine and three football team. They're in Florida. They're in a power five conference. So that's always going to help you in terms of recruiting. Not sure what their ceiling is, but they definitely could be a team every year that could win seven to nine games in the Big 12 and possibly more. BYU, I think they have a nice floor. They'll always be, you know, able to win five to seven games. I just don't know what their ceiling is moving forward if they don't have an NFL level quarterback at BYU. I'm not sure if they can reach the top of the conference, but I mean, look at the names in the conference. Anything is possible, right? And then Houston has a new coach. I believe they got the coach from Tulane. They should be able to, you know, win at a high level. Houston's the fourth, you know, biggest city in America. They're in the state of Texas. If they can recruit like they're in the city of Houston, then they should be very competitive in the Big 12. And then Cincinnati, after 20 years of elite coaching um, with, you know, Luke Fickle and Brian Kelly, elite, you know, 20 years of elite players like Travis Kelsey and uh, Jason Kelsey and Sauce Gardner. Uh, they've fallen off a little bit. And I'm just not sure if they can reach the level of the program they were at under Luke Fickle and Brian Kelly because it's Cincinnati, right? So that remains to be seen moving forward. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.